Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. everyone and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. I am Kim. I am here with my co-host Mark and our very special guest, someone whose writings I've been reading for years and years, Tom Wark, who is a wine writer, writes about wine politics seems to be the general direction that your uh, wine writings have gone to. And you're also wine marketing, I believe. Yeah. Well, first, it's great to be on the show. Thank you very <laughs> much for inviting me. Since 1990, I've worked in uh, wine marketing as a consultant. So I've made a career out of it. In addition to that, I've also worked as an advocate, um, primarily for free trade in wine and for consumers being able to access the wines they want. I've been writing about wine since 2004. And generally, I, t- I write about the politics, the culture, um, the business of wine. And then also since 2007, I've been the executive director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, where that organization advocates for interstate shipment of wine by retailers. They support the United States Post Office being able to ship wine. And generally, they advocate for a reform of the three-tier system. So, Mark, how did we get lucky enough to get uh, Tom on our show? I know you have a story here. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I always bug people that I follow. (laughs) Like you said, we've been following Tom for years. And Tom recently came out with putting all of the his information about the three-tier system into a little book called Fermenting Change, The Politics, Corruption, and Reform of the Three-Tier System of Alcohol Regulation, which people, our listeners can download on Amazon. And uh, I said, we have to talk to Tom. His uh, writings on wine, it starts a lot of conversation. And we like to tell the listeners what's going on. And the three-tier system I think, and Kim, you're probably the same as me. When I do wine classes, Tom, the first thing I like to do is kind of tell people in the state of Massachusetts, this is the law. This is how things go. And I always show a chart about the three-tier system. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was my understanding of how it all started was because after Prohibition, they kind of wanted to control us from getting out of out of control again with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they gave states this option, right? Either the state controls it or we have three tier states. Is that a, a true statement of how it all really came about? Yeah, it really is. Uh, prior to prohibition, there was this thing called the saloon culture. And you have to remember, we're talking about like 1910. In, in many uh, cities, there's no electricity, there's no air conditioning, there's no streaming services, no TV, hardly any um, radio. And a lot of people, particularly men, gathered in saloons. And in the saloons, this is where they got the news. This is where they found jobs. This is where they ate. This is where they organized politically, where they got drunk, really, really, really drunk in such a way that it actually spurred on the uh, the saloon culture spurred on the prohibition movement after prohibition ended in 1933 one of the main concerns of lawmakers was how do we prevent this saloon culture well the saloon culture was essentially controlled by producers that is to say a local brewery would either finance a saloon in exchange for them only pouring their beer or they would own the saloon and their marketing techniques were out of bounds right i mean buy a lunch and you get two free drinks right and the lunch mm. would be five cents another place buy a drink and get free lunch and they would be open 24 7. it was disastrous for the local communities it was disastrous for families and again it was 
what helped lead to prohibition. And so after prohibition, they thought, how do we stop saloon culture? And so what they decided to do was try to put a barrier between producers and retailers or saloons. And so they built this thing called the three-tier system in which producers of alcohol were only allowed to sell their alcohol to wholesalers, middlemen. And it was only the middlemen that could sell to retailers or to saloons or to restaurants. That way, there could be no influence of the producer over the retailer or over the saloon. And that's how the three-tier system got started. Now, some states as you say, Mark, opted for what's called a control system. And under a control system, it's the state that is either the wholesaler of the alcohol, or maybe they're the retailer of the alcohol, or maybe they're both. So we're talking about places like Pennsylvania, for example, or Utah or New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Yeah, that's the one that probably most of our listeners, at least in our local area, will have the most familiarity with because a lot of people do go up to New Hampshire to get wine because the prices are a lot cheaper. That's right. And also when you have, and, and so what we have here are the 50 different regulatory systems because there are 50 different states. And sometimes you have a situation like Massachusetts and New Hampshire, where if the tax on alcohol is significantly different in one state from another, a lot of people, if they're going to buy a lot of alcohol, they'll go to the other state. And so, and so I live in Oregon and there's no sales tax here. So a lot of times what people will do is people who live in Washington, they'll come over here and they'll buy their big ticket items, right? And then they'll drive them across the, uh, the border. So it's the same sort of thing over here. But the point is there are, the three-tier system is still largely in existence. And yet today, the reasons the three-tier system were put in place, the things that it was put in place to stop, no longer exist. In fact, they could not ever exist. And yet we still have this three-tier system. I like that point in your book about how culture has shifted so far away from what the three-tier system, in this case, as far as the saloons and all of that bit of it, you know, it's so far removed now from what that intention was that it's like a different planet, <laughs> you know, as far as nobody goes to the bar to get a job or, you know, to do really any of the things besides drink that they used to do. That's right. Um, and yet here it is in uh, 20. What are we? 2023. It still exists. And the reason it still exists is there's one particular part of the three-tier system that really wants it to stay in existence, and that is the wholesaler. If you thought about the system where the producer sells to the wholesaler and only the wholesaler sells to the retailer, that wholesaler is in a really plumb position, isn't it? It's literally a monopoly. They get to take a bite of every single apple that comes through and eventually gets on the retailers or the restaurants wine lists. So they become a very, very powerful force in the alcohol industry, contributing millions, I mean, over the course of a decade, hundreds of millions of dollars to state politicians. And the goal is to keep the three-tier system in place, despite the fact that it's completely unnecessary. And it also retards the growth of the alcohol marketplace. Let's talk about the, the distributors, Tom. So in your opinion, are state-controlled better than three-tier controlled states for a consumer? No. Um, it's not the, I mean, I'm not a real conservative guy, but what I've seen in state controlled systems is that there's very little motivation for a state controlled wholesaler or a state controlled retailer to innovate in a considerable way. There's very little motivation for them to offer up lots of products to the consumer. I'd much rather be um, live under a three-tier system, but under that three-tier system, I like to be able to buy wine from out-of-state wineries and out-of-state retailers. Here's the thing. Right. Every year, you know, some, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 new wines are approved 
for sale in the United States by the uh, by the federal government. They have to be approved first. And so over the course of three years, you'll have somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 400,000 new wines, 60% of which are imports, approved for sale in the United States. But if you look at all the wines that a wholesaler, that all the wholesalers in a given state sell to retailers and restaurants for resale, they'll have something in the neighborhood of maybe 40,000 wines total. Now, keep in mind too, that there were wines that were released before that, before the last three years. At any given time in the United States, a person can lay their hands on upwards of five to 600,000 different kinds of wines if you start counting different vintages and if you start considering option houses and things along those lines. But if you live in a state that won't allow direct shipment of wine from out-of-state wineries, and particularly from out-of-state retailers, you don't have access to hardly any of those. And that's how the wholesalers like it. And they fight very, very hard to keep it that way. I saw some numbers, Tom, where you mentioned 100,000 new wines a year. Back in the 30s, there was something like 400 wineries. Now there's like 15,000 wineries. And the actual percentage of what we can buy on the shelves is like only 15% of wines that are available. So I hear everything you say because being a retailer in mass, right. I have to buy what my distributor sells to me. So many times people ask me for something, they've gone to a winery, they've asked me about the wine and I cannot get it because my distributor does not support them. So I can't buy it to sell. Right, right. And I think it's sad in a way, but do you see where you were talking direct shipping? In mass, my understanding is they can direct ship if they pay the state. So in a way, they are going around the three tier, but they're still the state wants to make their money from it. But it's yeah. stricter in a lot of other states, correct? They don't have that open shipping. Well, and the state should make its money, right? I mean, the excise tax and the sales tax the states make off the sale of alcohol is 100% legitimate. It used to be that states would largely fund their budgets based on excise taxes. Those days are gone, obviously. But Massachusetts is a perfect example. So in Massachusetts, a consumer can buy um, wine from an out-of-state winery or an in-state winery, for that matter, and have it shipped to them. So that's great. But of the 100,000 wines that are approved each year, new wines that are approved each year for sale, 60% of those are imported wines. And the imported, I mean, an Italian winery is not going to ship a case of wine to somebody in Massachusetts or Iowa, right? The only people who sell imported wines are people like you, retailers. So in Massachusetts, it's illegal to have a bottle of wine shipped to a consumer from an out-of-state retailer. If they could, if a consumer in Massachusetts could have wine shipped to them from an out-of-state retailer, then Massachusetts consumers would literally have access to almost every single wine available in the country. But again, the wholesalers oppose this. Now, Mark, I think there's a solution for all the consumers out there who come to you and say, hey, Mark, can you get me this wine? You say, I'm sorry, I can't. My wholesaler doesn't distribute it. That is, we have to remove the legal mandate that wholesalers are the only ones who can supply wine to retailers. That is to say, um, it ought to be legal for you to be able to contact XYZ Winery in Oregon, buy a couple cases of wine and have it shipped directly to you without going through a wholesaler. This is called self-distribution in reference to the producer who is self-distributing their wine. If that were allowed in Massachusetts and every other state, I think it would, no, I know it would significantly change the wine marketplace. It would allow retailers to better diversify their offerings and to be able to better compete on a diversity of wines rather than having to compete on price. 
if a Massachusetts retailer wanted to become, say, the, I don't know, the Oregon Pinot expert in the state, they could buy a lot of different kinds of Pinots, maybe in small amounts from from Oregon producers and have them shipped directly to them without having to go through a wholesaler and without the wholesaler having to represent those um, small Pinot producers. Or you could still buy from the wholesalers also. I think it's the best of both worlds. But again, if such a law were introduced in Massachusetts, you would see a war breakout um, right. during which the uh, the wholesalers would get out their big guns. It would make for happier consumers, though, because I don't know how many times I've had to explain to somebody that we can't get a particular bottle for them because it's not available in Massachusetts and the befuddlement, you know, because people don't generally understand that there is this three tier system in place. So, to, you know, then it's like, let me take a step back and explain to you, you know, how we get what we can sell for you or use in a class or whatnot. And it's frustrating because we're kind of used to being able to jump on a website and order whatever the heck we want. And it's just not the same way with alcohol. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, what's interesting is in Massachusetts, you can ship wine to somebody in Massachusetts if you're a retailer. So you can ship it to somebody in Boston or somebody in Worcester, wherever. But out-of-state retailers cannot ship to Massachusetts consumers. Mm-hmm. Now, we would view that as a, a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. We um, we would be, view that as a violation of the Constitution. And Massachusetts had yet to be sued on this issue, but that's not saying they won't be at some point. Is that the Interstate Commerce one? That's the Interstate Commerce Clause, which okay. basically says that's that the federal government has the right to regulate interstate commerce. And there's a corollary to that called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which says that Well, if it's the federal government that gets to regulate interstate commerce, then the states don't get to do it. But Massachusetts is, in fact, doing that, aren't they, when they say that a consumer can't buy from an out-of-state retailer? So, right. It's like, what is it? Is it federal or is it a state thing? (laughs) That's exactly right. And that tends to be what these lawsuits come down to when they are filed. Hmm. It's just so confusing, Tom. And, And it's frustrating as a business owner in the state because there's so many things on the federal level, on the state level on the town level and everybody kind of confuses them. And for us, it's so out of control because you wonder why all these bills get created at the state level mm-hmm. that they, we're within the three-tier system, but there's so many bills to manipulate things in the three-tier and the distributors kind of sit back and let it all kind of play out because it all benefits them either way. Like what we're fighting now, and I know you recently commented on it happened in New York, was the supermarket expansion. I think New York is one of only maybe 10 states where you can't buy beer and wine in supermarkets. Mm -hmm. But we've had it here for years, and now they want to put in something called a convenience store license, which anyone who sells food can sell beer and wine. So my question to you, Tom, is thinking about three-tier and better things for the consumer, is that type of thinking where everyone now wants to sell wine is going to be bad in some way for consumer? Or do you feel that we should just keep giving consumers more options. And I know, you know, you want people to get what they want to get, but do you know you know where I'm coming from as far as what's happening is everybody is starting to sell it. And I just don't know, the three-tier system does nothing for that. And it's not going to be better for the consumer because they're still only going to get the same things. That's right. Um, the, the three-tier system itself isn't implicated whatsoever when they expand the number of venues where alcohol can be purchased. The three-tier system will remain the three-tier system. The convenience store will still have to buy from Southern Wine and Spirits and the wholesalers, just like the grocery store will, just like you will. So the three-tier system in that regard isn't impacted. 
I think that we're in a place right now in the development of alcohol regulation where we're seeing the number of places where alcohol can be sold naturally expanding. I don't know if we're going to go in a contracting stage, but I think we're slowly contracting in terms of where consumers can buy alcohol, which puts someone like you in a, in a conundrum. Because despite the fact that when grocery stores were able to sell wine in Massachusetts, your business wasn't wasn't shut down, um, there's still concerns on your part. And so when I put my politician's hat on and my lobbying hat on, I say to you, Mark, listen, if you think this is going to happen, if you think that um, there's going to be an expansion of the number of places where alcohol can be sold, where wine can be sold, and if you think it's going to harm you, then you really need to make sure that you get some concessions as a liquor store owner who holds a license and held a license under certain certain circumstances with certain expectations. You expected that it, there wouldn't be convenience stores able to sell wine. Now they're saying, okay, we might let them sell wine. You need to find a way to get concessions for that. And that's the job of your local retailer association. If they're opposing this expansion and if they can beat it back, that's one thing. If they can't, they need to get concessions. And if they don't, they're not doing their job. And I think your idea about letting the stores buy from who they want to buy from helps in that case, you know, it, because the expansion is only going to support the distributors who support the big brands and, and enforce those more. And uh, if we had a way of going to wineries directly and get something ourselves that's not in the system, it'd probably be, be better for us. Well, that's right. So I don't know how much Josh sellers wine you sell. I know there's a certain amount of people who will come into your store and buy it. If more stores are opened up like convenience stores, it's likely that's the kind of wine they're going to sell, right? The sort right, of right. low-end, inexpensive wine. If you could become a real, well, you already are, but an even, <laughs> even more interesting specialty wine retailer where you obtain your inventory, not just from wholesalers, but maybe from that upstate New York winery, maybe some Norton from Virginia, maybe some Riesling from Michigan, maybe some Pinot Noir from Oregon, maybe some Rhone wines, um, uh, small production Rhone wines from uh, the Santa Barbara area in California. If you could put on your shelves this really interesting mix of wines that you could only get directly from the winery, that's going to help you um, and because it's going to help your clientele. It's going to help consumers. They'll know where to go when they want to get something really interesting. And the only way that's going to happen is if you can go around the wholesalers. And so that might be one of the concessions that a Massachusetts Retailer Trade Association would ask for if they see a, a convenience store bill coming down the pike. And we saw this kind of exact thing happened a few years ago when we, so we had never had like total wine in Massachusetts. We had never right. had lots of big super wine superstores. And when that started happening, there was this real sort of conundrum where retailers really had to start differentiating themselves. And I think we sort of saw retailers either went the direction that Mark went with his store, where he upped the fine wine and he focused on something else. And in his case, it was education. Um, and a lot of other stores, you know, have sort of turned themselves into more specialty destination yeah. things with hand curated wine lists and things like that. Right. Or you go the opposite and you just sort of become a packy and you're just selling a few things and it's just those mass market rolling through the door kind of thing. And I, I feel like it would be something similar if we get more and more licenses that are convenience stores where it's, yeah. you don't necessarily have anybody on staff who you can talk to about wine. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that a consumer would look at Franklin Liquors and look at 7-Eleven as the same thing, right? Even if they went and got their Josh wines from 7-Eleven, they would know that, oh, you know, it, it's Christmas dinner or it's Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to a friend's. I'm not going to go get some Josh, right? I'm going to go see... It's a different kind of thing. And then you got those folks who are just enamored by wine, right? 
they too are not going to do their shopping at 7-Eleven, right? They're going to do their shopping at Franklin Liquors, particularly if you can show them a time. And more and more, that's what on-premise retail is about, right? Mm-hmm. Showing people a good time, getting them interested, uh, showing them something different, letting them learn and, and be educated. And that's a lot easier to do when you can stock a variety of different wines that every other fine wine retailer down the street has, right? So that's one of the reasons. So, so I work with retailers, right? And one of the things I really advocate is the ability for producers to self-distribute to retailers. Most people think that's just going to help producers, and it does. But it also helps retailers a lot to be able to differentiate themselves. So I think that's the next battle down the line is to open up self-distribution and let retailers buy from different producers and importers for that matter. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinlickers.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, and you can hear us here every week on WFPR 102.9. And this week, we have with us special guest Tom Wark, and his work can be found at tomwark.substack.com. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking with Tom Wark, who is joining us from Oregon, you said, correct, Tom? I live in Salem, Oregon, the capital. Salem, Oregon. And we are talking about three-tiered system of wine. And I know that, Mark, you have a lot of other questions that you you want to ask of Tom. Yeah. Tom, I had pages of questions. (laughs) He's like, I I have so many questions. Yeah. (laughs) It's just... there's just so much that comes up. One of the things you had mentioned about was retailers be able to buy directly from wineries. And I've been following, I'm not sure you're familiar with the company that's been around called Liberated Beverage, sure. which they, they kind of defeating the three tier in certain states and they're working their way around the states. And my question first is your thoughts on how they do business. And second is... A lot of the big box stores have second labels mm-hmm. that they produce themselves, and consumers can only buy from those stores. And Kim mentioned Total Wine. That, that's kind of something they do. And I'm curious, aren't they finding ways to bypass the three-tier system where they are getting directly from wineries, but the distributor still has to bring the product in. So the distributor is making $2 a case to bring it in, but I can't buy it from that distributor. So aren't they really already bypassing the three-tier in a way that I should be able to? In a sense, they are. And it depends on what state you're in and it depends on what the rules are in that state. So yes, so Total Wine, for example, they will contract with a a winery or a producer somewhere to make 50,000 cases of a label which only they sell. Then it gets brought into the different states through a wholesaler and the three-tier system. And then ostensibly, Total Wine will buy it from, uh, from those wholesalers. So for a few wines, yeah, they are sort of getting around it. They could never do it with all their wines, obviously, because people want wines that they recognize. But um, Total makes a small margin off these wines, and they are often used as lost leaders. And then you had mentioned Liberation Distribution, LibDib, as it's called. And LibDib was founded by Cheryl Dursey. I think her name is Cheryl Dursey. And she worked for a winery out in California, and she was just frustrated because she couldn't find wholesalers who would either do a good job or would actually represent her. So she started this distribution company where any producer could essentially put their wines on the elect- on the digital um, shelf, if you will. And then retailers could buy directly from LibDib. And then the winery would 
ship the wines directly to the retailer or the restaurant, whoever bought them without another wholesaler involved. And she was able to do that in California. She was able to do it, I think maybe in New York, I can't remember. But then she went and um, partnered with Republic National Distribution, the second largest distributor in America. And so now it's really not an innovation at this point, um, in my view, because a, a small winery in, say, California will, quote unquote, distribute their wines through LibDib, a retailer in Texas will go online to LibDib and say, oh, I'd like to get that ABC uh, Chardonnay. So they buy maybe two cases. But then it has to be shipped into Texas, has to stop at the wholesaler's warehouse, and then it gets delivered to the retailer. And it's not really three-tier. And the wholesalers, or it's not really um, self-distribution on the part of the winery without a wholesaler, because the wholesaler is taking their cut. I looked into LibDib for a couple of different folks who I've worked for, and the numbers just don't work out because... The fee that LibDib takes and the fee that the wholesaler takes, I mean, you have to sell it at a really, really low price that almost leaves no margin. In order to make it work, you have to sell an expensive wine through LibDib. It's got to be $45, $50 a bottle to really make it pan out for a winery. What we really need is simply a change in the law. We need, for example, Massachusetts to change the law, allowing a producer to sell directly to Franklin Liquors and or sell directly to a wholesaler in the state of Massachusetts. That's what's really going to revolutionize uh, the wine industry. It's what's going to give retailers more choice. It's what's going to give consumers more choice. But again, going back to total wine, yeah, there's a few wines that essentially go around the three-tier system, but it's by far not the majority of the wines they sell. It's just so confusing. Oh, it is confusing. Because in a way, a lot of people are defeating the three-tier system. And, well, you know what they say about the big boys, Mark? I mean, the big boys yeah, have yeah. more tools in their tool shed, right? It's a, it's yeah. how Total Wine can change the laws in different states fairly easily. Um, it's how the wholesalers can stop laws from being changed that make it easier on consumers and on retailers. It takes a groundswell to defeat those folks. And those are the sort of fights that I'm involved in. Those are the sort of things that I like to write about. I think consumers ought to have access to any and every wine that's legally sold in America. I think you ought to have access to every single wine that's legally sold in the United States. That's what a free market looks like. The state can get its taxes and it ought to get its taxes. I don't have any problem with that. But as long as we're going to be doing, if we're going to keep doing this gatekeeping simply so that wholesalers can make more money, I don't think that's the right way to do business. And don't you think, well, I don't want to put things in your, your mind here, but a lot. Do you think a lot of why a lot of this doesn't happen is because 90% of the wines on most shelves are the big guys and those big guys want to maintain the system? They don't want to lose, you know, 0.1% of their business to a small guy. Yeah, there's no doubt that the really large producers and really large importers also support the three-tier system. And it's because they get the most attention from wholesalers, a vast yeah, amount of money. For them, so. exactly, exactly, it does. But remember, they're a small, small minority of the producers who sell the vast majority of the wine. Wholesalers make the vast amount of their income off the very largest wine producers in America and the largest wine importers in America and off spirits. They don't make it off the small producer in Oregon or the small producer in Sonoma or the Riesling producer in upstate New York or Michigan. But the consumer is the one that really wants that choice. So there's this tug of war, right? You've got the big guys, the producers and the wholesalers who don't want there to be a lot of choice out there in the market. That just makes their jobs harder or it makes them lose money. On the other hand, you've got this large group of very small, not powerless producers, but small producers who want it the other way. They want to be able to access these shelves and they want to be able to access consumers. And so there's this perennial tug of war in the wine industry that gets solved, but very, 
very slowly. I mean, again, over the course of 10 years, from I think it was 2012 to 2022, wholesalers gave over $100 million to state politicians and campaign contributions. Retailers, on the other hand, they gave about a million dollars. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that stat during our last election cycle. It's it's remarkable. And um, the wholesalers will tell you the reason they often win is because they have the better arguments, but we know better. <laughs> John, do you think convenience is always going to beat out the small people ever getting a chance? People looking for different things is not going to win because it's just so convenient to get the big brands. Well, I think it's a... It's going to be a tough battle to satisfy consumers. I think four out of five times, the big guys are going to win and consumers who want choice are going to lose. But again, as I said before, I think that history is moving in the right direction. I see things opening up and I think slowly that's going to happen, but it's going to be a, a real battle. Consumers have to get involved and retailers have to get involved for that matter. But here's a little secret too. In large part, retailers are afraid to speak out against the three-tier system and the big boys. And they have good reason to be afraid to speak out. Their livelihood is in the hands of wholesalers. If a retailer speaks out and says, this three-tier system, gosh darn it, is just terrible. And I hate it. And I hate that the wholesalers act this way. There have been a number of instances in which a retailer and restaurants, for that matter, have spoken out publicly against the three-tier system. And all of a sudden, the wholesaler stops coming to their store to take their order. Mm. And the wines that they need to have, you know, the the fast moving wines, all of a sudden they're sold out. Oh, we'll get to you. Sorry about that. They don't want to take that chance. And there's other ways in which the wholesalers can exert power over the small retailers and the small restaurants. They're literally afraid to speak out and with good reason. And this is why associations are so important. They can speak on behalf of their members. Yeah, they play a lot of allocation things can impact your business as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Right. I mean, some of your best customers, for example, they're looking forward to that time of the year when certain Italian wines are released, right? Right. Um, or maybe certain California Cabernets are released. If for some reason you don't get the allocation that you've always gotten for the last decade, because maybe you said something or you uh, you upset somebody at the wholesaler, that impacts you in a significant way because that customer who's relied on you, they're going to go someplace else. Yeah. And even just your everyday wines, it's impossible for us to know what is in stock at the distribute on the distributor level. So we might desperately need something for, you know, a class or a special event. And if they just be like, oh no, it's not available. I mean, I I, I don't have a comeback for that, you know. <laughs> I kind right, of what are you gonna do? Just believe them. Right. Right. Yeah. It'd be yeah, nice if you can call the winery it. and say, I'm having this tasting and we need a case of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's against the law. That's um that's against the law because we need to prevent people from gathering in saloons. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just want them together in wine schools. Right, exactly, exactly. I think that's one of the things Kim and I have been fighting for years. We we try to educate people on, they have choices in the wine world, but then we can't offer those choices because we can't buy them a lot of times. So it, there's just so much going on. I'm glad we got to... Uh, our listeners got to hear all this, Tom, because we have so many fights going on within the state. And, you know, when you're saying I don't want to speak up or something, but I, I do say a lot of things. And I, I was lucky to have a local state rep who, when I saw some things happening in the system, I would approach him and, and he would write bills. But things get lost. There's just so many agendas at the state yeah. level. It gets lost in your individual fight. And, and I'm kind of thinking this is your battle and you're doing it in the whole country. It, yeah. it, things are going to get lost with other issues. and Everybody has their own agenda. 
and then you're battling all these huge companies. The the distributors, I forget the number. I'm sure you know it, Tom. But years ago, there were hundreds of distributors. Now there's like a handful, right? And they're huge and they're in multi-state. So yeah. the battle is tough. There are three wholesalers in the United States, um, Southern Glazers, Republic National, and Breakaway Beverage. And between the three of them, they control somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of all wine sales. In wow. a wholesale level. And that's one of the things that makes them so powerful. And they always crack me up because I listen and I read everything they have to say because I need to know what they're talking about. And they'll always describe themselves as a small family owned business. <laughs> right. They're not a small family. Business. So does Gallo. That's yeah. how they describe themselves too. That's right. That Gallo, a family business. Yeah, it's right. true. They are a family business. They're privately owned, but they also make about 30% of all wine made in the United States. Mm -hmm. So there's a distinction there. I'm glad that you speak out, Mark. I mean, because in oh, the he's end, our squeaky wheel all the time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do, because in the end, it's benefits your customers and your consumers. You know, they know that you're on their side because um, it's not like you're out there fighting to get more Josh. I feel like I'm I'm beating up on Josh Wine today. I don't. It's just easy to say. But it, if it's good for you, it's probably going to be good for the consumer, right? And so that's why it's important for retailers to speak out, not just in Massachusetts, but all over the place. So I think we'll see change for the better coming down the line, but it's going to be a long battle to uh, to achieve that. Are there any states, Tom, that you think are doing a good job and maybe a progressive way of changing how their system is run? Or is is it sort of across the board? Yeah, well, I think similar. So Every state is different, right? So right. in Mass in Washington State, for example, there is no three-tier system. Um, a retailer can buy from anyone inside the state or outside the state. A consumer can buy and have wine shipped to them from out-of-state wineries or in-state wineries, but they can't have wine shipped to them from an out-of-state retailer. In um, Interestingly enough, the District of Columbia is probably the most progressive place in the country for um, alcohol sales. But even a progressive place like Washington State, they still ban shipments from out-of-state retailers. In California, a retailer can buy direct from a California winery, but they can't buy directly from an out-of-state mm. winery. The retailer can't. Um, you can have a consumer can have wine shipped to them from an out-of-state winery or an out-of-state retailer, but distillers can't ship to California retailer to California consumers. I think that the I think that an alcohol market that relies on reality and relies on free trade would allow retailers to buy from either wholesalers or directly from producers. I think it would allow consumers to buy from retailers in the state, to buy from retailers outside the state, to buy from wineries in the state or wineries outside the state. That would be a vibrant wine marketplace and everyone would have their place in it, including wholesalers. It just the state wouldn't mandate by law that they had to be used by retailers. Mm -hmm. I just saw something recently, Tom, in, in your state. Didn't they just, wasn't there something they said there was cracks in the system and they found uh, a workaround or something? Did something well, it, just change? Yeah, in, in Oregon, Oregon allowed its in-state, and there's a there's a huge craft brewing um, industry here in Oregon. It's fantastic. And Oregon allowed its own brewers to sell directly to retailers, but it barred out-of-state um, brewers, particularly specifically Washington brewers, from shipping directly to Oregon retailers. And so those brewers in Washington state sued Oregon. And the state of Oregon eventually settled the case because they knew they were going to lose because it was clearly unconstitutional. So now a retailer in Oregon can buy craft brew from Oregon breweries or out-of-state breweries and 
you're going to see more of these kinds of lawsuits filed all over the country. And the states are going to settle them because they know that they're unconstitutional. It's just a matter of finding the time to actually file the lawsuits, to be honest with you. So is the three-tier system you feel worse for wineries or worse for breweries? Or is it equal? Or distillers. Yeah. yeah. Or well, does it matter? I guess it would. Because, well, it doesn't yeah, it does There are different matter, rules actually. for oh. each... I don't think it's I don't think it matters. I think in general, if you are mandated by law to sell to a wholesaler, you're getting, pardon my language, screwed. And most states require that to one degree or another, or they limit how much a brewery, distillery, or a winery can sell direct to a local retailer. So I think it's equally bad for everyone. That said, wineries tend to have more privileges than brewers and distillers. And that's only because distillers and brewers have been slow to demand greater access to consumers. The vast majority of states prohibit distillers and brewers to ship direct to consumers over state lines and even within their own states. That's changing, particularly with regard to distillers. Distillers are really stepping up to the plate now and saying, listen, we can't get distribution from wholesalers. They won't represent us. Yet We have all these people who would like to buy our whiskey or our vodka or our gin. We'd like to be able to ship it to them. And so they're starting to see bills introduced in a variety of states that will allow consumers in those states to buy directly and have spirits shipped directly to them from out-of-state distillers. Breweries are still moving sort of slowly. I think they'll eventually get around to asking for more privileges, and that'll be a good thing when they do. I think you can tell a lot about the three-tier system in our state where a lot of small breweries have popped up and most of them have bypassed the distributors and self-distribute within the state because they know if they go into these distributors, they get lost. And right. yeah. they- Almost all of them. <laughs> it yeah. does seem and to be- It's increased that we tremendously. Have, yeah. So, and we have so many, like you do in your state, Tom, we have so many craft breweries in Massachusetts and not even, you know, just in the Boston area, but out to the Western side of the state and Maine is similar. Vermont is similar. So, you know, that part of the industry still is growing and booming. And I feel like the system has to adapt to make room for everyone getting their kind of piece of the pie. And just to demonstrate how weird alcohol regulation regulation is, in a number of states, craft brewers have to sell their beer to a local wholesaler and then buy it back from them before they can sell it in their own brew pub. That's dumb. <laughs> it's There's no other word for it. You really yeah. get the head. It's just straight up dumb. Yeah. But if you ask the wholesalers in those states, they'll, sell, they'll tell you, we have to preserve the three-tier system. And I think to myself, do we? Do right. we if we're doing that sort of thing. I know it sort of comes around when these things are up for votes or, you know, some sort of public opinion thing that there is always the um, the topic of, well, it's for public safety. Public safety. <laughs> it's like That's we right. have to we have to make sure that nobody under 21 can get their hands on alcohol. And if we got rid of the three tiered system, kids would be drinking all over the place. Kids don't care where Mark it's his, uh, his <laughs> right? from, do they? Yeah. Uh, they just don't care. Um, and then, and they shouldn't care. Right. I mean, I mean, I was very unsuccessful as a minor being able to obtain alcohol. I tried on a number <laughs> of occasions. I had fake IDs and everyone looked at me and said, just get out of here. And then I was unsuccessful. You know, you talk to somebody who would go into the store and you say, Hey, will you buy this beer for me? I was never able to convince them of that. It's a crime that I actually went into an industry where I have to communicate and even lobby. I don't know how I do it. 
Tom, I have one last question for you. And sure. I'm not sure if I got this number off of your blog or not, but I saw something about a survey of people in the alcohol industry. 78% of Americans believe that the three-tier system is working well. And I'm curious your thoughts on that number. And you think if that is an actual, I didn't think 78% of the population knew even what the three-tier system is to yeah. think it's working well. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts on that. Well, that's a very, it's very intuitive of you. You're right. 78% of Americans do not know what the three-tier system is. That was a poll that was commissioned by, wait for it, the wholesalers. And the question was not, do you approve of the three-tier system? The question was, do you approve of state-based regulation of the alcohol industry? And yeah, it's, that's a it's shocking question. that 78% that only 78% said that, right? Of course, we approve of a state-based regulatory system. The question is, what kind of regulatory system? The same wholesalers who commissioned that poll actually commissioned a poll of specifically moms in Texas and in New York. And they asked moms if they approved of um, a state-based regulatory system. And once again, you won't be surprised to learn that somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 or 80% of moms said, yes, we approve of a state-based alcohol regulatory system. And then the wholesalers use that information to send out a press release that says moms oppose. There's that fear thing again state <laughs> about the kids drinking. Right. Moms oppose um, modernization of the state alcohol regulatory system. And and so it's it's all it's quite the game. But I've seen those polls be cited in committee hearings where certain bills are being considered. And, you know, it's just it's hard not to just sit and shake your head when you're standing or sitting in front of you know, 12 or 14 different lawmakers, and they're citing a bill about moms approving the three-tier system. You don't want to make the uh, the lawmakers you're asking something from upset, so you don't want to call them idiots, right? But you're thinking to yourself, they might be. Wow. Very eye-opening. And I hope uh, our listeners got some information out of this, and they can get more information from your website, Tom. And, and we really appreciate your, your time talking all of this. And I, I mean, we could go on for a long time because there's just so much to ask and to kind of explain to people. So I want to thank you very much for your time, Tom. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you uh, for having me on the show and God, keep doing a, you know, keep doing the good work you guys are doing. Thank you. It's been nice to hear it directly from you instead of, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with reading your words, but it's been nice to uh, hear you speak them and hear your voice and uh, and get you to talk to us for a little the bit. Dulcet, the dulcet tomes. The dulcet tomes of Tom Hork. <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, WFPR 102.9, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And thank you for our guest today, Tom Wark. You can find him at tomwark.substack.com. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.